Hello and welcome to this episode of the Event Manager Podcast by Skiff Meetings, the podcast for curious event professionals embracing the future of business events. My name is Miguel Nevsh and I'm the Editor-in-Chief of Skiff Meetings. In this episode titled Collaboration and Advocacy, I have the pleasure of speaking with Amy Calvert, the CEO of the Events Industry Council. Our conversation revolves around advocating for the event industry in the wider business community. We talk about things like aggregating resources and addressing pan-industry issues as being the main areas of focus for the Events Industry Council. We talk about bringing together the members of the Events Industry Council to discuss the state of the industry and how important that was, particularly during the COVID pandemic. We talk about the importance of sharing the impact of events and the reasons for hosting events with the wider business community. We talk about advocacy and how that's really important, but we must not forget that people are at the heart of what we do. And we talk about how meaningful conversations with partners are the ones that lead to real positive change. I hope you enjoy listening to this conversation, and I invite you to check out the other episodes of the podcast, which you can find on our website or by subscribing through your favorite podcast service. Now for a word from our sponsors, PHL Life Sciences, a division of the Philadelphia Convention and Visitors Bureau. Host your convention or trade show in Philadelphia, one of America's leading life sciences hubs. PHL Life Sciences, the first and only CVB division of its kind, will connect you to the professionals at the forefront of your industry and to a culture you can only find in Philadelphia. A city known for its rich history that's forging a bright future, Philadelphia challenges the expected and defies convention. A world of discovery is waiting. Visit phllife.com to learn more. Hello and welcome to the Event Manager Podcast by Skift Meetings. Our guest today is none other than Amy Calvert, the CEO of the Events Industry Council. Amy, welcome to the show. Thanks, Miguel. Nice to be here with you today. <sighs> nice to be here with you. Um, We've known each other for a few years now, and you've been the CEO of the Events Industry Council for four years now, five years, correct me. Oh, Miguel. Little over three. Yeah, I actually Little have my three-year three year anniversary to the day at IMAX Frankfurt. Okay. Well, forgive me for, for not counting the years correctly there. Um, would yeah. love to get a little bit of your story, uh, you know, your initial interactions with the event industry, uh, your journey, um, and how you became the, the CEO of the Events Industry Council. And we should probably also cover what is the Events Industry Council for anybody who's not familiar with it. But first, maybe yeah. your story, and then we can cover that a little bit more. Sure. So, you know, I have been in the industry for, you know, over 30 years now, started my career primarily working on the supply side, working for hotels, hotel companies, destination management organizations. And when this opportunity came about, you know, just over three years ago, I was very, very excited because I thought, you know, this is an incredible opportunity for me to take all of those learnings and those experiences and apply them in a completely different way. And the other really, I thought, incredible aspect about EIC and something that I really love is that it's very much um, a community of organizations that have come together really with this common um, aim of serving, you know, the sector, serving the individuals that work in the sector through their unified effort, right? And, uh, you know, I've always believed in that premise that we are together much stronger and that EIC in and of itself offers a forum for that really important dialogue and, and that type of collaboration. So, um, 
I did not get into this industry on purpose. I, you know, my studies were in uh, English, English literature, fine arts. <laughs> and, uh, you know, when I started my career, I really started as an intern because I was interested in um, potentially opening, opening up my own catering company, right? So I knew somebody who was a general manager at a hotel and um, sat down with him and had some discussions around, well, you know, tell me a little bit about what this opportunity includes and did uh, sort of an operational focused internship. And that was it, Miguel. So, but uh, I really, I really enjoy this industry for, for many, many reasons, but I feel very grateful, particularly over the past three years, because I, you know, through the the volunteer service opportunities that I've had and, and some of the things that I've done working um, with, quite honestly, many of my member organizations over the years have built incredible, you know, peer group and network of people that really inspire me and challenge me and have been tremendously supportive in this new role. Fascinating. And um, thank you for sharing that. And can you describe in your words, what is the Events Industry Council, um, you know, how it works and, and uh, for anybody sure. who's really not familiar with it? Yeah, so we are a global federation uh, set up to serve the business events industry. So we are um, an organization that has uh, 34 member associations and they are representative of all aspects of our industry, all sectors, all global regions. We have, as I said, 34 members, but we serve through those individual organizations over 200,000 individuals. So it's a really, it's a quite interesting model. Um, the work that we do really is on behalf of the entire sector though. So whether, you know, we have some core pillars and areas in which we serve the industry that is through advocacy research, professional standards and professional recognition. So the, the thought process is through, again, the sharing of resources and that common focus, we can you know, serve the individual and help them on their journey through the events industry, whether that be you know, professional development opportunities, building of networks, um, leveraging of resources and tools from an advocacy perspective. So that is the events industry in and of itself. We also administer the CMP designation, which I know you're familiar with. Um, that is a certification that represents a community of over 12,000 individuals worldwide. And um, we're going through some quite interesting um, work to transform and to advance that credential and the competencies that that support that as the foundation. So okay, well, thank you for sharing that. Um, so you have member organizations um, like MPI, PCMA, uh, ICA, uh, all these different, you know, large organizations with, with a lot of history. And I know that you're a federation of, you know, you represent all of them and, and kind of bring them all together. Um, I'm interested to understand how you see the the things that, you know, something like MPI or PCMA should cover and should address and, and in terms of education, the things that they were going to do. And the things that the EIC does, or the Events Industry Council does, where do you see that? Is there a kind of a, 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 a definite line there? And, and where do you see that being? Yeah, I mean, that's a really good question. I don't know if I would say that there's a definite line. I think that, you know, when I started back in November of 19, one of the things that we we did and we did pretty quickly was we said, you know, we really need to sit down and 
you know, not just develop a, a strategic roadmap for the next three to five years. We really need to, to go back and, and really think about what is the purpose of an organization like this and, and really ensure that as a, as an industry organization that represents, you know, multiple perspectives and, um, as I said, sectors that we really can anchor to a, a purpose and create a vision of how this organization can really be impactful, right? And and where we landed was, you know, that this organization and and is is really in a unique opportunity to help address some of these pan industry issues, right? That we all are thinking a lot about right now, whether that be in the area of, you know, building capabilities and, and helping to support our workforce or in the areas of um, regenerative thinking and sustainability, and of course, equity and inclusion. And we know this as individuals and as professionals and just members of society, that these are global challenges that not one organization or individual can solve for independent of one another. So, you know, the, the, the Federation came together and said, you know, EIC's role really is to, on behalf of the Federation, and again, on behalf of the industry and the constituency we serve, help to advance those issues. We, you know, combine resources to engage in research or to build tools and resources to help, you know, an individual go on a learning journey as it relates to those things, um, as opposed to each individual organization or entity doing that, again, independent of one another, right? Um, and, you know, that is sort of the framework by which we've been operating for the past three years. Now, if you know, does that mean that each of my member organizations isn't, you know, doing great work in the area of DE&I themselves, or they, they are not necessarily um, doing work in sustainability or, you know, social impact? No, I mean, each organization is, you know, serving their members and has to make some strategic decisions about, you know, how they deploy their resources and what their priorities are. I think one of the things that we said that was really important to us though, is that we would sort of analyze the landscape and aggregate and curate resources. And we would commit to not recreating that which already exists. Uh, I think that that's a really important piece. I think the other part of it for EIC and where we have a unique opportunity is that because we are an agnostic entity, right? Um, we can bring together different perspectives, different or, you know, organizations, individuals, not necessarily members, could be non-members to have sort of an elevated conversation around, you know, where are we as an industry? What are the key opportunities and how do we work together to solve for those? And that became very apparent during the, the pandemic, right? Where we reached out beyond our traditional membership uh, framework to say, you know, we really have to come together and think about what is it that we really need to do in the here and now to help people navigate, you know, the near term and then think about what is it needed, what are we going to need to do to adapt and innovate moving forward? And that's where I think, you know, something like that apex COVID task force was so impactful and why people were so inspired to be a part of that. And ultimately that was, I think, one of the most um, really incredible gifts and acts of generosity and all really volunteer led um, and really important work. I think that still resonates and will continue to resonate because some of the comp, you know, the core elements of those Resources that we put together are around frameworks for collaboration, partnership, you know, shared risk and shared objectives, you know, analyzing that which we want to um, carry forward and that which we perhaps are better off leaving behind as it relates to our you know, common practice. So, sounds like very um, transferable um, 
pieces of work that that, that you've that you've created. Um, yeah. Is part of this that you describe in the workings of the Events Industry Council and the Apex Committee, etc., um, also about communicating to people outside the industry uh, that may not understand the industry? Uh, and you know, is that an important part of it? And if so, kind of any initiatives or any things that you're doing to open up this kind of industry that is somewhat hidden, um, I feel, in in many sectors, in many business sectors, you know, you know, events happen and meetings happen, but there's not necessarily a complete understanding of, of how they happen. Yeah, or why they matter, right? I think that, I think there's the opportunity. So one of the things that we have always done, but we're thinking a little bit differently about now as it relates to that question is, you know, we are working with Oxford Economics, um, thanks to the generous support of our partners on the next iteration of our economic impact study. And, you know, that's really always looked traditionally at, um, you know, direct and indirect impact for events globally. One of the things that we said would be really important and I think especially as we start to do, as you suggest, which is to engage with uh, different stakeholder groups outside of our, our sector to, you know, sort of get ourselves out of this reactive mode that we've traditionally found ourselves in when times of crisis arise. Um, you know, if we're trying to um, capture the hearts and minds of people, you know, in particular that are um, able to influence policy that have an impact on our workforce, and our industry, then I think we need to find a way to humanize the story about the impact of events and uh, the impact to communities. And so we're trying in this next iteration to really solve and answer some of the questions around what is the, what we're calling the catalyt catalytic impact of events. You know, so taking that indirect impact and digging a little bit deeper to understand, you know, how specifically do events help build sectors you know, whether that be investment in infrastructure or research or, you know, um, you know, even potentially education and scholarship opportunities by sector and collaboration with universities and so forth. So, you know, that is something that we will have to commit to do over time because often the impact of our events are needing to be measured over time, right? It's it's very much correlates to economic development and it happens at the local level. But what we wanna do is once this study is done and we'll commit to doing it every two years is really be able to then go out and talk to mainstream media and to arm you know, our stakeholders, our members and our members' members with you know, a toolkit of sorts so that they can be doing the same thing. Um, and again, I think it's, you know, taking the really great data that we get and the the massive impact that we have, um, the massive, massive, or, you know, the ability to articulate the massive losses that were experienced and the impact of the cessation of events and be able to engage in some conversation about, you know, how we, um, how we can engage their support. And I think, you know, advocacy in my mind, you know, we traditionally have not been an organization that has engaged in true policy work. But the work that we do has been sort of foundational to that work that other organizations and entities um, are involved in. And I think that's so, the role that will continue to play. Yeah. So you've provided some of the data and the research that, that can support mm -hmm. people in making those. Yeah. Okay. And um, I think it's, it's making that again, you know, casting that wide net. I think, again, sometimes as association executives, we sort of assume that we're touching everyone because we have 
really amazing member communities. But the reality is, and as you know, this probably better than most, Miguel, there are professionals working at every level within our industry that we're trying to find new ways to connect with so that, again, we can better serve our sector and, and really work towards our vision. Interesting. Well, I'm, I'm looking forward to, to hearing more about that work. Um, it, it's, it sounds like we need to improve or you're looking to improve how we do that, right? How we connect with the external, the wider business community. Um, is there any kind of major changes that you, um, that you see in the approach or, you know, has the COVID pandemic created uh, a situation where we have to communicate in a different way? Because uh, it does feel like we've we've tried this before. You know, there was a recession, the big recession in, in, in 2008 and 09, and, and there was a lot of struggle in finding a way to make the case for events and meetings. And, you know, to some extent we did, but I think we, we could always improve. Do you think that we did kind of better now in the COVID pandemic, or is there still a lot of improvement that, that needs to be done there? Well, I always think there's room to improve. <laughs> that's way, you know, that's always my mindset. Uh, you know, I think that, you know, we're, advocacy requires a couple of different key components, right? And I think, you know, obviously in some instances, it's going to be a very surgical approach where you know that there's a certain group that you really need to, you know, influence and in order to, you know, pass legislation or to gain support. But then there's that, again, that sort of broader kind of wider net approach where you're really kind of speaking on behalf of the industry. And I think, um, you know, really trying to inspire perhaps a different viewpoint about why what we do matters. And, and that's a little bit different than some of the policy and legislative work. And yeah, I think that, Sometimes we get into the habit of thinking, you know, oh, yeah, that organization over there is doing that. We don't really need to get involved. <laughs> and, you know, um, and then we find ourselves in a crisis and then we ask ourselves, well, well, what was the impact? And I think part of it is, well, we really on the from the onset have to sort of understand well, what are our success metrics and, you know, how are we going to hold ourselves accountable um, to be evaluating our based, you know, on the investment that we're being, that is being made um, uh, against these endeavors to the outcomes. And I think we all have a bit of a role to play. I think that's one of the things that we talk about a lot at EIC is that, you know, advocacy, while we all might not be doing policy work, advocacy is something that, it, you know, as individuals and as leaders, regardless of what part of the industry we're working in or how long we've been working in it, we, we have a bit of an obligation, I believe, to be able to articulate, you know, the story about why, you know, what we do matters and how we build lives, improve economies, build communities and all of those things that we say we do. Um, and I think, you know, during the pandemic, you know, we saw a lot of engagement from adjacencies, you know, organizations that necessarily, that are, you know, host events, but haven't really necessarily been actively engaged in the events industry, sort of coming into the conversation and articulating it within their sectors, you know, the, the impact of not being able to hold a large scale trade show in, in the retail sector and the, you know, health sciences sector and so on and so forth. And, and I think that was pretty inspirational and pretty impactful as it related to getting some of the relief packages that came through, um, executed on. So 
we'll see. But um, I think, you know, this is an ongoing journey. I think it, you know, re requires us again to um, think a bit, little bit differently about, you know, the, the people that we're engaging with and the, and, and the conversations that we're having. And, and really that, um, you know, we focus on the human element of what we do, right? You know, at the heart of what we do is if we're fostering human connections and, you know, whether we're talking about advocacy or whether we're talking about workforce, you know, that the common denominator there is people, <laughs> right? And, and people are at the heart of the matter, regardless of what sector that you work in. And, um, you know, I think the pandemic has taught us a lot of things. Hopefully we can carry those forward as we, you know, um, adapt to the world that we're living in currently and really keep that at the forefront of what we're doing, whether we're talking about outcomes or whether we're talking about event design or advocacy. Um, you know, one of the things that we're focused a lot now on is as it relates to our future and how we best serve our sector is. Um, what is it going to take to inspire people who might not necessarily be thinking about our industry as a place to build a career to, um, you know, the attracting um, of new talent and fresh. Yeah. Talent I mean, and... I think, yeah, the attracting of new and fresh talent is, you know, kind of really connecting that those dots and really talking about our values and our impact. And then what are the skills, right? What are the skills? What are the capabilities needed? And, um, not necessarily those traditional um, logistical elements, but the broader skills that are needed and talent that is needed to to drive our industry forward. Yep, a very big topic there. I'm sure I'm interested mm -hmm. in, in kind of exploring that more and understanding um, that that future, the future uh, uh, human resources within the industry and human talent, etc. Are you ready to celebrate your successes in the world of meetings and events? The Skift Meetings Awards are back for 2024, recognizing the most innovative business events companies across 15 categories, and we want you to be a part of it. Winners will feature on Skift Meetings, sending a clear signal to events professionals around the world that these are partners they can rely on. The final deadline for submissions is June 11th. We encourage you to start your submission today to secure the best entry rates. For more information and to start your submission, head to live.skift.com. Wanted to kind of go back a little bit to the work that you're doing at the Events Industry Council in terms of, you mentioned advocacy, uh, you mentioned it's everybody's responsibility to advocate for the industry and for what they do and then all these things. Um, could you talk a little bit about the resources that you have available or that you're working on that in your mind should be part of the toolkit that we have to advocate for the industry? Well, in addition to the, you know, the economic data, right, we're doing the study right now, we've released some quarterly barometers that really are looking at demand and, and looking at um, occupancies. And that's been in partnership with um, Amadeus and Cvent. And so I think that those are obviously great resources to have at the ready and are publicly available. But we're also, you know, working on resources as it relates to, again, going back to some of those pan industry issues that we're focused on and in the area of, you know, regenerative thinking and sustainability and social impact. You know, we have a center of excellence uh, that focuses on sustainability and social impact. And under that umbrella, we've 
developed a new certificate for uh, individuals looking to understand, you know, what is that sustainability journey and uh, how does that help as an event organizer or as a supplier? How does that help me um, better understand the things that I need to, to implement in order to move the needle and have an impact? So the Sustainable Event Certificate Program, we're relaunching our Sustainable Event Standards, which I think you know a little bit about from your um, background with EIC, but the sustainable event standards are actually relaunching tomorrow. I know we talked a little bit about that um, leading up to this conversation, but those are really an incredible um, resource for organizations, events, venues that are looking to um, secure a framework for collaboration with the, their supply chain, their partners, and really set common objectives around moving the needle in the areas of sustainability and DE&I. And we're really excited about that. That was a global collaboration. Um, there's different points of access depending on where you, know, you are in the journey and um, the work that's been done leading up to the point that you actually begin the sustainable event uh, standards journey, which is ultimately, um, I think, you know, a tremendous resource to the industry because right now I think what happens is people become overwhelmed at the enormity of the task, right? They're not sure where to begin. Not all of them live and breathe it every day. Not all of them have the buy-in at the um, organizational level that they might need to embark on that journey. So the, the standards themselves, the tools and resources are, again, are just ultimately a framework for collaboration and then um, to celebrate successes along the way, right? And to um, set your sights on achievements over space and time. So I think those are really important resources that EIC is offering the industry. And then the other piece of it is really looking at this equity acceleration plan that we've developed. So we came together about two years ago, right after the murder of George Floyd. And there was this conversation around, you know, we've been talking for a very long time about uh, systemic racism about you know these issues around equity and accessibility within our industry and I'm not sure that we've ever really asked ourselves again going back to you know are we have asking ourselves the tough questions around are we having an impact are we really moving the needle it starts by you know coming together and saying you know what are the areas in which we think we can have impact so this we appointed a task force to look at the issue on behalf of all of our members and our or you know our industry. And um, I think there are about 30 people working in this task force, and it's really an incredible group, very inspiring. And uh, one of the things that we said is that, you know, we have to understand where we are right now. So we, we did a bit of a benchmarking study. We're about to release that um, along with the report on the findings. But from there, we'll be building out tools and resources and, again, aggregating and curating some of the things that already exist out there so that an individual or an organization that's interested in looking at, you know, how do I help, you know, from an equity standpoint, address um, that within the framework of career um, development, leadership development, organizational frameworks and event frameworks. And, you know, there's always, um, you know, that piece of it that I think is so important. And again, it's, you know, measuring our success over time. So this group aims to be together for about three years and look at different aspects of equity acceleration. But I think the piece that we're really, um, really excited about is that 
you know, we have this framework now to measure our progress over time. And I think that's the important element. Um, and then to be transparent about it. You know, have we really moved the needle? Are these things having an impact? So, you know, EIC is this really just, it's, it's a really interesting organization that I think has done a lot of great work. I think one of the things that's really important though, is that we continue to try to find new ways to touch um, more people, right? Outside of our traditional membership network. And um, so we're going to be launching in about I don't know, two or three weeks, a new um, corporate membership status. So traditionally, we've been just associations. But if we really are trying to achieve our vision, Miguel, I think we, you know, we really want to try to position this organization as the entity that can host more of a global events forum. And in order to do that, I think, you know, we want to really focus in on who are the people, who are the organizations that need to be part of that conversation. So a lot going on, but all, I think, to, um, to that important goal. And, and, and that is, you know, really sort of being the organization that can help an individual a practitioner find a learning journey and, and find a really valuable and meaningful experience within the event sector. Very interesting. Thank you for sharing all of us. There's a lot of things going on, as as always. Um, you mentioned one thing which I thought was really interesting, that one of the committees, if I'm not mistaken, has a sort of expiry date, or at least is is together for a certain period and will be monitoring something for a certain period. I think that's a really interesting approach. Is that something that you're doing for that one specifically, or is this something that you're looking in general? Um, because I think it is it is important that we're honest if we've achieved something, then we probably don't need committee X or Y, but if we haven't, then also setting a date for when we want to achieve something is, is, is going to spur us on rather than kind of have standing uh, committees, et cetera. Yeah. So we, this, this, that particular group is the equity task force, right? And, and we, you know, I think as, as is often the case, when you set out to achieve a specific goal, you're not we're, you know, we're never quite sure how long it will take. You know, we have to adapt and adjust as new learnings come to light. And um, so, yeah, we set an original target of three years for this particular group because we thought it would allow us to go through that framework of, you know, establishing the goals and objectives for this particular task force, deploy the initial research, to, you know, do the creation of the resources, then have the ability to then go back and see, you know, are they being impactful? But we went through a similar exercise with the apex COVID recovery task force right so we knew that that group was not going to stay together for um, um you know the it wasn't going to be it was the intention behind that group wasn't to you know for it to stay together as a standing committee it was truly a task force meant to sort of look at in the here and now you know what can we do to best serve our sector and we've evolved that into a bit of a different group where you know, they're coming together in, in more of a critical response um, framework. So they'll meet on a quarterly basis as opposed to monthly, and they'll be evaluating some of these bigger issues and opportunities like workforce. You know, one of the things that we have a program that we're working on right now that is going to take advantage of the framework of our member and partner events to activate at the local level some engagement with potential um, talent coming into our industry. And so that group is going to be, you know, kind of looking at that, looking at that through a global lens and also evaluating what else, what are the things that are coming to light as we, you know, continue to 
move through this period that we're living in and, you know, have some rich conversation around, you know, some of the key issues and opportunities. But again, that group will likely not be together forever. It might continue to evolve. And some of those resources that were created are now being managed by the Apex Commission, which is a standing committee, as you know. So I think it's important to be honest with ourselves that not everything needs to live on in perpetuity. <laughs> and that sometimes it's okay to um, sunset something and move on. Yeah, I'm definitely a, a fan of of that approach, and I think it's it's important to have those those milestones that that we uh, mm -hmm. that we set. Any uh, future plans for the Events Industry Council that uh, that you'd like to um, ambitiously discuss? Well, I think you know one of the things that's important that we're working on right now, and it has. Um, a strong connection to the future of our organization, but also the industry is the future of the CMP, right? And, and we're, we're looking at, um, we're going through what is called a competency profile project right now, and that will evolve into what is typically in the world of credentialing referred to as a job task analysis. It's a very interesting time to be embarking on a project like this, given everything that we've learned over the past two and a half, three years, and the reality of um, some of the things that we can no longer turn away from, right? Um, and, you know, one of the things that we're trying to think about, Miguel, is, you know, the, there is a certain amount of what we do that is common, right? There's a certain amount of our practice that's common, you know, whether that's 75, 80% of it. And then there are things that will vary depending on the region that we're working in or the the sector that we're working in. And so what is the right framework for the competencies to develop the competencies that are necessary for an individual to build a strong foundation within our industry? And, you know, how does that then get integrated into the, uh, the job task analysis and the international standards for the CMP? And it's really kind of looking at, you know, not just what is relevant now, but what will be relevant into the future. I think that's a really important part of it. And so we're holding these really intense focus groups regionally right now and having some pretty honest conversation about things that um, might need to vary by region and the adaptations that we need to make inside of the, the world of the CMP and the credential. But we're also looking at, you know, EIC is the ecosystem that an individual can come into to build that learning journey that is tied not necessarily to the um, international standards of the CMP, but more the competencies themselves, right? So setting up the technology stack and the um, organization in a way that helps create um, relevance for an individual, regardless of whether you're a member of a member of mine. Uh, it, what really matters is that EIC can serve as a as a hub for learning and, and professional development and connection. So that's a pretty um, interesting project. And that is um, going to be something that we're going to be talking a little bit more about by the end of the year and it involves a couple of key components, but the, the really the kind of looking at the, um, the competencies and the international standards and, and then, you know, creating relevance inside of the credential for the community is another area that we're looking at. Fascinating. Um, sounds like another excellent project. I think all of your projects are, are quite big in scope, right? Quite ambitious and, and uh, move a lot of things. So it's uh, never a small task. No, it isn't. But, you know, I think we're trying. We're, we're definitely trying to focus in on that, which we're, we already have underway. Right. And, and really prioritizing um, the, 
the projects that we have ongoing right now because they're very important and they're um, they're sort of long overdue maybe in some ways we, <laughs> <laughs> you know, we have the reality of a lot of things that we're dealing with but it's all good and you know we are tremendously um grateful for the support that we get from our incredible members and our volunteers right um we talked about some of the challenges facing the industry uh, right now. Um, are there any particular ones that that are coming up ahead that we're maybe not talking about enough right now? Well, you know, probably there, what comes to mind are two things, right? I think we touched on um, a little bit about, you know, workforce and and kind of the need to uh, reframe the conversation that we have about who we are and what, what we do and why what we do matters, right, as a sector and, and the connection between the, those two things. I, I think that we we throw words around a lot like advocacy and workforce, but we really don't get to the heart of the matter, right? <laughs> like, what is it we're really talking about? Why does it matter? And how do we really, you know, how do we really shift the narrative? And um and what are the things that really are going to make a difference? And, you know, I kind of hang on to, there's two articles that I read last year that really kind of, I pick up quite often and I go back to, uh, and it's part of a series that Harvard Business Review did about a guide to building resilient businesses. And I think they have a direct application to events themselves. And, you know, one is fostering a culture of belonging in the workplace. Um, mm -hmm. and and I think there's, you know, I think there's something to what they talk about in that article that applies, whether it's, you know, you're talking about a hybrid workplace and the evolution of how we um, cultivate and build talent and inspire connections um, through events that, um, that we need to be spending a little bit more time talking about, right? You know, because there's a, there's a lot of, um, discussion around things like, um, you know, purpose, objective, and audience, but I think we really have to, to to spend some more time kind of unpacking that as it relates to the opportunity now that I think events have to serve a need that has come about and is even greater, perhaps, by this new world that we're living in um, and this hybrid work environment, right? Yeah, and that's something we've been also trying to cover quite a bit, both on Skift meetings and, and Skift, the, this idea yeah. of this you know, hybrid workforce and how does that change in the role of events in creating company culture when uh, it is a hybrid workforce, right? Yeah, yeah. And, and I think, you know, events, in my opinion, are a way for us to, you know, sort of articulate um, culture and values and community, right? And, and I think that that's something that's really interesting to me and to us. And as we start to think about skills and the conversations that we're having um, as it relates to, you know, building career pathways and learning journeys, it's something we're trying to keep at the forefront, um, you know, the things that we're doing. And then I think, you know, kind of going back to another article about, you know, high performing teams and kind of the, that cycle, those psychological elements of, you know, autonomy, competence, and relatedness, you know, and what can we do to help position events as ways to help organizations, industries, and sectors achieve those objectives as it relates to supporting their talent and their people. 
um, you know, it's a lot easier to do that than try to recruit new or build new, right? So we're in a fortunate position where we have in many cases, in many cases sort of a built-in audience that we've been serving for quite some time. So I think it's going through this process of through those that type of a lens, sort of evaluating the role that events have to play in this new reality. It sounds all very linked to this idea of the future um, human talent in, in the workforce and, and that, that role of, of events and, uh, and attracting to events, I think, is, is very, very important. Yeah. And then kind of the underpinning of this whole idea of DE&I and accessibility and this foundation of equity in the world that we live in, where I think people are hungering and, and yearning for those connections and yet in some instances not sure where to go to find those right and i think that's one of the things that i think a lot about based on my, i guess my own lived experience is that you know we have to talk a little bit more intentionally around how what are the benefits of being part of a community it doesn't necessarily have to be a traditional community like a, you know, a membership organization, but just finding your place, right? And the benefit that um, can be derived by um, developing that peer network and you know, creating those those places where you can go to to learn and develop and grow. Think of my, you know, I have a daughter who's twenty eight. She's working in um, product marketing for a technology company, and she started in her role um, during the pandemic, right? And met her teammates. Oh, I guess after 18 months of working for the first time at a conference out in San Francisco about a month ago, and you know, just listen to her talk a little bit about you know what that meant to her and how that helped kind of break down barriers and try to better understand some of the dynamics that were happening within her team and within the company. You know, I thought to myself, well, you know, it's one of those light bulb moments that helps us sort of connect the dots about why you know what we do is so important. Absolutely. Connecting the dots and putting a name to these things is, is so mm-hmm. important. So, I mean, it, you, you mentioned a lot of things that, that we're working on to develop uh, culture and how events are a big part of this. Um, it, it does sound like we still have room for improvement in how we do events and how we enable events to have those sort of impacts. Um, do you have a, a vision of what events in the future could look like? Um, if they're able to do these things, if they're able to have these sort of impacts, and you know, are you clear on what the differences are of those types of you know future events, ideal events compared to what we have today? You know, I, to to a very large degree, I think that that question about relevance and you know value is is somewhat subjective to the individual, right? You know, I think, and that will always be the case. I think that, um, you know, if I had, I definitely, you know, as it relates to a vision for the future of events, I think it strongly correlates back to the vision that we have for EIC. And that is, you know, sort of reframing our industry more closely aligned with you know, the true purpose and the true impact, which is fostering human connections, right? And if we're really successful at doing that, then we're creating environments where people feel like there is psychological safety and there's equity and there's inclusion. And, and it isn't because we're saying it is so, it is because they're telling us that it is, right? 
Um, and I think that's a really important North Star for us to be keeping. Um, but I think that it's important that we, you know, <laughs> we celebrate our successes along the way, right? And that we don't engage in sort of these narrow, kind of very black and white conversations about, you know, one type of an event over another, you know, because there's, a, I think there's a place for a variety of types of events <laughs> to, uh, to add to an individual's personal and professional experience. And I think it's just a matter of evolving to a place where we're really working in partnership with the demand and the supply side to execute at the highest level. I think that's one of the things like personally for me, based on my experience, that I would love us to be thinking about and talking more about is that, you know, it isn't about necessarily, you know, casting the widest net as it relates to, um, you know, sourcing and, and working with partners. I think we have to really be more selective and engage in meaningful conversations with our partners about shared risk and shared objectives to ultimately create great experiences, right? And that is starts by, you know, keeping our customer and our customer's customer at the forefront of our thinking as we start to build out these experiences and execute. And I'm not sure that we do that on a consistent basis enough, right? Because we're so busy being busy and again, focusing on casting that wide net. Um, so I, you know, I always go back to the quality of our quantity and really honoring what we say we do in our industry, which is you know, built on partnerships, really honoring those partnerships and, and asking generous questions and being present in those conversations to, to build better outcomes. That makes a lot of sense. And I think that that brings things together, um, quality over quantity, and I guess in many ways, focus, right? Because I think if we cast the widest net, it is an unfocused one. Uh, and I don't think people benefit from that necessarily. No, yes. but that's Anything. the way we've done things, right? So we have to, you know, we have to check ourselves. And, and what do you I think, think is going to make us do that? I mean, it's obviously, I, I, I agree with the approach. I think it is, it is a shift, but are we, are we ready to do that? Are we, you know, are we confident that that'll work and to jump, uh, and take that leap of faith? Well, that's a good question. I think that that goes back though to, you know, some of the work that we're, we've been trying to do within our various committees. And that is um, really, really sort of, you know, we, we talked about this whole, you know, idea of trust and confidence and empathy, right? As it relates to, um, you know, what was needed in the near term to help us navigate, you know, the impact of, the pandemic and and I believe in my heart that those things will always be at the forefront of what we need to be doing and thinking about when we're engaging in the business of events, right? Um, and so if we're truly honoring and anchored to, again, the value of the event experience and the foundation is trust and empathy, <laughs> we have to take the time by definition to engage in more thoughtful and meaningful conversations with our partners and our teammates, because um, otherwise, you know, we're, we're just going to be asking ourselves questions at the end of, you know, why aren't we getting the results that we've achieved? So I don't know, we're, we're going to continue to focus on it through our, our committee and the work that we're doing and hopes that building those skills into 
the competencies and the framework for professional development will have an impact on you know our individual's ability to see that as a priority and find the time to focus and engage in those types of conversations. We'll see. I like that. Coming back to basics and, and kind of re uh, reaffirming that desire to connect, I think is, is yeah. really important going forward. Amy, thank Thanks. you so much for sharing all this with us. I think this we've touched on some really interesting topics and, and we've connected the dots with a lot of what the EIC does, which I think is, is important. And I don't mean to sound that uh, everybody should know what the EIC does, but if, <laughs> I'm trying my best to uh, to help Thanks. get the message out as much as possible. So, um, Bye. so I do think I'm grateful, Miguel, for that. So I wanted to conclude asking you for a recommendation for a guest to be on the podcast. And I think you've thought of someone, so I'm curious to find out who that is. So I would nominate Jason Dunn, who is the SVP at um, uh, Visit Cincinnati and the chair of our equity task force. I think you would really enjoy talking with him and, and listening to his um perspective on some of the work that we're doing at EIC. He's one of our newest board members. Um, I have to give Jason a lot of credit because when he came in as the chair of uh, National Coalition of Black Meeting Planners, he really went out of his way to get engaged in the various organizations and that comprise our membership and um, has been tremendously supportive, not only of me professionally, but of EIC and the role that we play. But he's very passionate about, you know, obviously the um, the importance of equity and uh, really addressing the notion of systemic racism. But listening to his story and, and his lived experience, I think you'd find really inspiring and his vision of the future. So I nominate Jason Miguel. That sounds great. I will will we'll definitely ask Jason to be on the show and I look forward to learning more about his story and, uh, and all the work that he's doing. So yeah, that would that should be a really interesting episode. Thank you. So um, I'm just going to say thank you and goodbye and uh, really appreciate you being with us today. And uh, hopefully everybody listening enjoyed that as much as I did. Thanks, Miguel. It was really great to spend time with you as always. And we appreciate your support. Thank you very much.